place accountably. So good morning, everyone. I was just reflecting one of the good things of having the altar here with this big window is when you bow to the Buddha, you're also bowing to the pond and the ducks and the butterfly that just flies past as well. Um, The name of this talk is about on not taking oneself too seriously. And uh, recently um, I came across this book, uh, Dewdrops on a Lotus Leaf, which is the Zen poems of Ryokan, the uh, well-known Zen poet and Zen monk translated by John Stevens. And uh, a friend of mine introduced it to me recently. And um, she was, she's a Dharma practitioner from another tradition. Um, But she uh, read to me this poem out of Ryokan, which I'll read to you. And... um, the manner in which she read it was very playful. It was kind of like a, as she went through each of the points, she she was going, yes, that's me, does that. Yes, that's me, does that. You know, in a very playful kind of manner. And the poem is about precepts, Ryokan's precepts to himself. You could read it as right speech. My precepts, take care not to talk too much. Talk too fast. Talk without being asked to. Talk gratuitously. Talk with your hands. Talk about worldly affairs. Talk back rudely. Argue. Smile condescendingly at others' words. Use elegant expressions. Boast. Avoid speaking directly. Speak with a knowing air. Jump from topic to topic. Use fancy words. Speak of past events that cannot be changed. Speak like a pedant. Avoid direct questions. Speak ill of others. Speak grandly of enlightenment. Carry on while drunk. Speak in an obnoxious manner. Yell at children. Make up fantastic stories. Speak while angry. Name drop. Ignore the people to whom you are speaking. Speak sanctimoniously of gods and Buddhas. Use sugary speech. Use flattering speech. Speak of things of which you have no knowledge. Monopolize the conversation. Talk about others behind their backs. Speak with conceit, badmouth others. Chant prayers ostentatiously. Complain about the amount of alms. Give long-winded sermons. Speak affectedly like an artist. Speak affectedly like a tea master. Mm -hmm. That's a great, isn't that a great reminder about right speech? And Ryokan, as you may know, um, was a, is one of the most um, well-loved figures in um, Japanese Zen. And he lived um, for 
from 1758 to 1831. So if we try to place him in history, he kind of lived at the time that Australia was colonised. No, that's that's the time he lived. I thought he lived a lot longer ago from that, but it's it's not that long ago. And uh, he was the the son of a village headman. And uh, when he was seventeen, um, he met a, a Zen teacher who um, he respected great a great deal and became his student, became a, a Soto Zen monk. And after many years. Um, he excelled at um, you know, understanding the scriptures and practice. And after many years when the abbot died, um, he was given Dharma transmission and was asked to, to carry on as the abbot of the, tential, of the temple, but he declined it. And instead he became a hermit and uh, lived in nature in a very, very simple kind of existence on the outside of a, a village and was well known for writing poetry and and calligraphy and playing with children, you know, and um, having a, a, a playful but simple and respectful life. And you see it in, <clears throat> in many of these um, poems that, that come through. I'm just going to read them sort of randomly. But, um, to, and, and referring back to my talk yesterday about Don't Know Mind, you see this beginner's Don't Know Mind coming through. Two poems for my friend Bosai. Yes, I'm truly a dunce, living among trees and plants. Please don't question me about illusion and enlightenment. This old fellow just likes to smile to himself. I wade across streams with bony legs and carry a bag about in fine spring weather. That's my life, and the world owes me nothing. The gaudy beauty of this world has no attraction for me. My closest friends are the mountains and rivers. Cloud, clouds swallow up my shadow as I walk along. When I sit on cliffs, birds soar overhead. Wearing snowy straw sandals, I visit cold villages. Go as deep as you like, sorry, go as deep as you can into life and you'll be able to let go of even the blossoms. Beautiful poems, inspiring poems. Um, what, one of the aspects of Dharma practice that we need to remind ourselves of is um, playfulness. And when we have an ego identity, one of the usual things, one of the most usual things that arises out of clinging to an ego identity is we take ourselves far too seriously, defending it, protecting it, keeping its status, you know, etc., etc., etc. And um, it's something that we lose um, over time. You know, children are naturally playful. And um, when we grow up as adults, sometimes we have to take on more responsibilities and so on, which may take the edge off our playfulness. Um, but it's partly because we end up taking ourselves too seriously as well. And Dharma practice is about, if it's about coming back to our true nature, you know, um, it's about coming back to 
playfulness again. And in um, those of you who are interested in Japanese words, um, uh, it's a beginner's mind. A child, a child's playful mind is a beginner's mind at seeing wonder and possibility and everything. And the Japanese have a word for beginner's mind, which is shoshin, S-H-O-S-H-I-N. And when you reflect back on um, awakening experiences, or let's say turning points that people have in practice, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's breaking from seriousness into, or solemnness, into playfulness. And if you go back to the, the Buddha's awakening, you know, where, when he, on his awakening, he said words to the effect, house, house builder, you will not build this house again, like the house of the ego, of the I, me, mind. The rafters are broken, the ridge pole is broken. Do you know, so there's a sense of joyous collapse. One, one could imagine, imagine him laughing in that moment, in the playfulness of the moment. Having taken one's journey so seriously to find out the meaning of life and to find that it's just a joke, right? So it's, a, it's a, just a play of energy. Um, one of my own experiences, it wasn't an enlightenment experience by any means, but it was a turning point which brought me to Zen practice, which I may have mentioned before. But I was reading a book by Alan Watts, which was called The Wisdom of Insecurity. And I was a serious, serious philosophy student at university in, about, in my early 20s, searching for the meaning of life. And I came across a passage which sort of encapsulated the point of the book, The Wisdom of Insecurity, is that everything is in flux, everything is insubstantial, you know, and there's, there's, no, there's no place where you can pin things down. And I realised that all of my philosophising and working things out, right in that moment, it's like I was building an intellectual edifice on top of a solid base that didn't even exist. It was very, very funny. It was like, and it was that, I remember that was the point where I went, I'm going to start up Zen practice. Something collapsed, you know, just like with the Buddha's metaphor, something just collapses. But it collapses into something joyful, you know, not into... It doesn't collapse into something which is um, despairing or morose. Mm-hmm. And you see it in other, other well-loved religious figures like St. Francis in Christianity in his playfulness with animals and children. So it's at the core. When we think of enlightenment, you know, to be, it's not like the light turning. Well, you can see it was the light turning on, but it's becoming lighter. You know, we've been weighed down with this ego identity and it's become lighter because we've seen through it. And when you look at koan practice, as I've mentioned, koan practice is a play. It's a, it's a play of words. It's a play of two people. It's the folklore that's been collected over years of playful interactions between teachers and teachers and students and teachers. Sometimes the, the student coming with a serious question, a serious Buddhist question, and the teacher responding in a way that's playful, that sort of tries to break through it in some way. Mm-hmm. And one of the most, one of the standard sort of cliche questions, you know, that 
students would bring to their teachers is why did Bodhidharma come from the West? It's an opening gambit. You know, one teacher said, well, ask the gatepost over there. <laughs> There's many, many ways that you could respond to that. But when, you, when I reflect on it, you know, it's not that dissimilar to the common joke we have is why did the chicken cross the road? Yeah, and we make up all these variations and we have all these different funny responses to it. You know, and, and in a sense, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? It's kind of like, why did the chicken cross the road? You know, we're looking, it sets up a serious answer, but it, it ends in, a, in laughter. It ends in a, in a collapsing into laughter. And there's so many um, koans, you know, which are like that. That's what we do, isn't it? We, we, we get, it, there is a serious side to Zen practice, but we kind of seriously search for something, you know, the meaning of life or the truth of life or enlightenment or something. And we do, we do it with such earnestness and seriousness, you know, but the end, end point is um, a breaking down of something, like what is the meaning of life? Quack, quack. Mm -hmm. What's the meaning of life? cock a doodle do. Uh -huh. There it is, right there. Uh -huh. Not some elaborate philosophical treatise. That's not what it is, but that's what people search after. <clears throat> um, when, when we do this practice, we become lighter and a playfulness starts to come into our everyday life in what we do. Um, but it's important to recognise that there's playfulness and there's playfulness. And I'll give you some examples from my everyday life of recent. Um, one, the first incident was um, I was driving my car to work and I came to a traffic lights which had a pedestrian crossing in front of it and um, I was about to go through it but the car in front stopped and then the walk sign went on the traffic lights and I was caught in the middle where the people blocking their way as they were going across the pedestrian crossing and I couldn't go back because there was a car behind me so I was kind of stuck there and as I was stuck there there was an old woman came past me and scolded me very severely and went, you should go back there and you shouldn't be across. And I'm, I just made an immediate response and I went like that, you know, trying to make light of it. But then afterwards, when I drove off, I went, mm, no, that wasn't quite right. Because when I went like that, trying to make light of it, I think she could have easily seen that as me mocking her, right? So in, in some way, it was being playful, but it was perhaps being playful at someone else's expense. And then I reflected, well, okay, if something like that happens again and someone scolds me for, you know, being across it, what should I do? What I do is just bow. Yeah. Just bow. Yeah. On the other hand, playfulness is often at its best when it's self-deprecating. You know, the, the joke is on yourself. And um, I'll give you another example. We were at um, 
breakfast the other day, as we usually do on Thursday at North Sydney after sitting. We have a cup of, cup of coffee at a cafe together. And the, the conversation came around to um, the Findhorn community and people talking about how they had visited there. And I mentioned in passing that Diana had, had visited there when she was younger as well. And then someone brought the conversation back to it and said, oh, what, what, what did Diana do there? Or what happened with Diana there? And I said, well, she told me that she met this astrologer and, um, and the astrologer told her um, that in her life she was going to meet a man who was somewhat older than her. And this man was very, very wise uh, and she was going to marry this man. So I recalled this story and I said, yeah, but she ended up with me instead. Mm-hmm. At least it, it, it caused some humour on the day, at least anyway. Um, so humour and playfulness should never be at anyone else's um, expense. Um, in the Mumonkan, it says in the, the koan on Mu, um, that when you when you break through and you re, you realise something in this koan, uh, have an insight into this koan, that you enjoy a samadhi of frolic and play. And one of the most interesting Dharma talks uh, I came across recently um, on the net, which follows on from this wisdom of play, it's called The Wisdom of Play, and it's by Kusho Uchiyama Roshi. I don't know if it's the same Uchiyama Roshi that I knew of when I first went to Japan um, many, many years ago, or it's another Uchiyama. Um, but it's a wonderful um, essay, and I'd encourage you to look it up on the internet and read it in, in, in full. Um, but what he's saying is that um, if we take Dharma practice seriously, in one sense we take up bodhisattva vows and we take up precepts, which in one sense we need to take seriously. You know, there's a seriousness about it, you know, that we do no harm in the world, you know, and we have um, a commitment to the well-being of everything and everyone. So in one sense, it's a serious commitment. But the manner in which we approach it is one of play. And the, the world is seen as the, the bodhisattva's playground. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we see it in a, in a spirit of play, he outlines the different ways in, in which playfulness comes into being. So one, one aspect is, is that you're throwing all of your energy into activity, whatever it is you're doing in your life. That's playful. And it's contrasted when you do things, you know, resentfully or half-heartedly. So it's this, this, this sense of putting oneself completely into whatever it is we do, work or play or whatever. And enthusiastically engaging with other living beings, things, situations. In other words, not withdrawing from things out of a sense of fear. Um, Willingly seeking and facing challenge as part of the process. 
rather than approaching things defensively or with aggression. Immersing ourselves in activities unconditionally um, and not being sort of, you know, um, participating contingent on the success of the outcome. Right? So being in the process rather than I'm only going to do this if it turns out okay. Doing it sincerely, which means enjoying the whole process for its own sake. In other words, doing session, doing zazen, each moment of zazen for its own sake. That's the spirit of shikantaza. We're not sitting to become enlightened. We're not sitting with any goal in mind, we're just sitting. That's the sincerity of sitting and bringing that to everything that we do in our life. The Bodhisattva also practiced, you know, um, approaches life in a relaxed manner, you know, rather than a, a, a stressed manner. Attentive and curious, and in being attentive and curious, it's like beginner's mind, it's not fixated on goals or outcomes. Moving forward to meet everyone, sorry, Moving forward to meet and engage the world, not holding ourselves back um, because we can't see any self-reward for it in ourselves. And embracing whatever it is we encounter, pleasant or unpleasant, as part of the journey. These are really all good points in terms of how we um, apply our practice, not just in session formally, but outside of session informally, which is really the rest of our, most of our life, in a way where we, we commit to those serious bodhisattva and precept vows, but the spirit in which we do it is one of playfulness, you know, rather than dead seriousness. Mm-hmm. Let me just finish up with a poem by Ryokan. This is his last poem when he died and it captures the spirit of playfulness around um, living and dying and our reputation. My legacy, what will it be? Flowers in spring, the cuckoo in summer and the crimson maples of autumn.